0: Well, good morning. So there's two topics that pastors don't like to preach on. First one being revelation, second one being money. And good news is I'm not preaching out of revelation this morning. Bad news is I'm preaching out of money. So I'm preaching on on money. So we're we're continuing our our study here in the book book of Proverbs and specifically uh, I'm going to be preaching out of Proverbs 11, but honestly, there's so much the Scripture has to say about money that kind of reinforces what Proverbs 11 says. So I'm kind of be jumping out around quite a bit, but Proverbs 11 is kind of our uh, foundation, I guess. Um, so before I begin, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Uh, I think if Father's Day fell on the first two weeks of this sermon series, I think it would have been great. You know, we talk about wisdom and, oh, guys, guys, you need to be wise, you need to have fear of the Lord, or Last week on work, guys, we need to work hard to the Lord, but instead I get to teach on money and, guys, how we should be using our money. And it's not, it's not a Father's Day sermon, so it's not like all ladies and kids turn your ears off you don't have to listen to it. But the fact is, as guys, as dads, we have a unique responsibility on how we live our lives because the way we live our lives, our kids watch us, right? Our kids are always watching us, whether, again, whether they're little or older, our kids are always Watching us, Um, and make no doubt. When they grow up, as I have younger kids, when they grow up, they will remember the way we lived our lives. They remember the way we spent our resources, our time, and our money. And in turn, they will take the value, and and see that as what's most valuable. So if they see that we have money, and the way we spend our money, we spend our resources is to get our own comforts, our own entertainments, our own joy in this life, they will remember that when they grow up, and they'll grow up and they'll think that. Money and things and possessions is what matters most in this world. Or maybe you don't have a lot of money. Maybe you find yourself not being able to pay your bills. You find yourself living paycheck to paycheck. And you begin to complain about the fact you don't have money. Or you become envious of those who do have money and do have things. Your kids will see that. And they will in turn try to think that contentment and joy is found in stuff. And if you don't have that stuff, you can't be happy in this life, because our kids are always watching us. Now, if I'm being honest with you, it it scares me a lot of times to think about what I'm showing my own children, by the way I live my life, by the way I spend my resources, spend my money, spend my time. It scares me to think that one day my kids will grow up and think that nice cars, bigger houses, more and more stuff, nicer and nicer stuff, are what is most valuable in this life. But the fact is... As I've been preparing this message, I I want my kids to look at my life and see the way I spend my resources and my time that shows that Christ is a thousand times more valuable than anything this world has to offer me. But if I'm being honest with you, that's not often how my life looks. But I want them to see that. I want them to see the way I spend my money, my resources, my times. That points to Christ as being my supreme treasure. And I pray the same thing for all the dads out here this morning. But before I start, let me throw out a few cautions as we look at these passages. So the first caution is my my intention, and I would say God's intention throughout Scripture, is not to, to guilt us into being generous, to guilt us into be, being giving, right? We, we don't give out of guilt. We give out of grace because of the work of Jesus Christ in our hearts to change our life, to change our hearts, to reflect Him who became poor for us so we may become rich in Him. So, Giving out of guilt doesn't require a changed heart. It doesn't require the Holy Spirit to to motivate you to give out of guilt. Anyone in the world can give out of the guilt, but we we don't give out of guilt. We give out of grace because of the gospel. My second caution is really listen to God's words as we look at Scripture. Again, we're going to look at a lot of different Scriptures, but really listen to God's words on wealth and possessions and evaluate whether we really believe they are true. And if we do believe they are true, are we living as if they are. You see, I think we can get really excited about certain topics, certain passages in Scripture, right? You think about election, or you think about adoption, or you think about the gospel, and we get really excited about those topics, which we should. Those are great topics. But then we hear verses like Steph just had read for us. But, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And we hear those verses, and we, we sometimes think, did, did God really mean that? I mean, is that, is that really true? Or is that, or is that just kind of like a, a general concept we should consider, but not necessarily follow? Or when he says, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, and yet I often live my life as if the opposite is true. It's better to get for myself, it's better to gain for myself than it is to give. And we have to be really careful about picking and choosing which verses of Scripture we want to follow and which ones we want to consider as more suggestions. Because let me remind you, the Bible isn't a book of suggestions from a good teacher that we are to consider. The Bible is a holy, inspired word of God that we are to follow. Every single word in here we are called to follow. But if I'm honest with you, I don't often do that because I love money. I love possessions. I have an unhealthy obsession with my stuff. And as I've been preparing this message and studying these passages, it's been incredibly convicting to me. But also, if I'm being honest with you, I've been defending my lifestyle these last couple of weeks. I've been defending the way I live my life, the way I spend my resources and my money and my time. I, in fact, there's, there's parts of my sermon that you're going to hear this morning that at one point in time, I actually was considering getting rid of the parts of the sermon, not because they wasn't true, but because it was true, and I realized, like I am not living this way, so I, should I really be the one teaching this? But I, I've kept them in there because they are true, even if I don't live this way. But I defend my lifestyle. It reminds me of a couple years back when we had actually just bought uh, Pastor Darren's house in North Ridgeville, and the first spring, these little birds began building a nest in our front porch there. And at first, it was really cute. And on my my. Grandma's laughing because she was there, witnesses. But it was really cute. We had these little birds. They started forming the nest, and we had these windows. We were able to watch them build the nest, and the, they had eggs. The eggs hatched into babies, and it was really cute. But then, once those babies hatched, we realized that these birds were from the pit of hell because <laughs> they were barn swallows. And I didn't know anything about barn swallows. Now I do. I have PTSD every time I see one. But these barn swallows, I would be cutting my grass way away from the nest. And they would just dive bomb me with this blood curdling, like devil scream as they're like diving and just screaming, like bloody murder, scare me to death. These little, little stupid birds, but they're so defensive of their stuff, so defensive of their nest and their babies. And I fear that's my natural reaction when it comes to possessions. You see, I often make excuses about why I don't give more, right? I need to be wise with my money. I need to save for retirement. I need to, you know, what if I lose a client? You know, I need to have money just to pay for the bills. Or what if one of my kids gets sick or I get sick? I need to make sure I have money set aside so I can pay for these hospital bills. And there's, there's savings and stuff. That, there's wise ways to do that, for sure. But the fact is, I often make excuses about why I buy things for my own comfort. I, if there's something I want, I just go get it. I often just go ahead and buy it, not a drop of a hat. But if I am made aware of a need, I often have to think hard about it. Well, let's pray about it. Let's talk about it for a while. Let's, make, let's really think, is this where God's leading us? Because the fact is, I defend the way I use my money all the time. I find security in my money. I find security in the amount of money in my bank account. And when that number begins to dwindle, I get anxious. I get really anxious when I see that money begin to dwittle in it, and I buy, I get so much pleasure in buying new things, and I feel like Paul in Romans, where he says, I don't understand my own actions, for the things I do, I do I, or the things I do not want, do I, what I want, but I do the very thing I hate, and I feel this battle just raging inside me these last couple weeks, and I would venture to guess that I'm not the only one here that, that struggles with this, but if I am, please bear with me for the next 30 or 40 minutes, because I need to preach to myself. I need to hear this again. I need to hear this this fresh again so that God would change my heart and change my life. But again, I'm guessing I'm not the only one here that struggles with this. But I do believe that love of money, love of possessions, we're not often aware that we have this issue because I think it's a big blind spot, especially in American Christians. I know it is a big blind spot in my life. Because we have a culture that, that tells you to buy more, get more, save more, and, and, and it's so culturally acceptable to have things that has become such a huge blind spot, I think, in American Christians. And again, it's especially in my life. It reminds me back a, a couple years ago, I was driving down 480, and as I was going down 480, I was going to get off at 71 there to go to a client's, and I turned my turn signal on, and I look next to me, and I look over my shoulder, and I'm like, Couple times, and do everything they say in driver's ed to make sure there's no car next to you. And so I started to get over because I didn't see a car there. It looked like I was safe, but as I got to get, went to get over, that car that was in my blind spot made me very well aware that they were there as they laid on their horns. So I got back over really quick because I, I had no idea the car was there because it was in my blind spot. I looked, I did everything I could do to look, but I couldn't see that car. But now the new cars, right? If you guys drive newer cars, they have a blind spot monitor, a blind spot warning system where essentially you turn on a turn signal and and immediately if there's something in your blind spot, your car sees it. And whether it be a camera or beeping or a flashing light, it tells you that there's something in your blind spot, even though you don't see it, right? So my prayer and my hope is that through the pages of scripture that God would use his word to so clearly shine a bright light on what I think is a blind spot in probably all of our lives, and definitely in my life, and that he would show so clearly this blind spot that I think we, we have, and that through his words that he would just drastically change the way we live our lives and the way we spend our money and our resources in light of this blind spot that I believe we have. So in light of that, I, I, to kind of give us a framework for this, I have three points this morning. So earn money honestly, give money generously, and then value money rightly. So the first one, earn money honestly, and I get this from verse eighteen here, it's Proverbs eleven. So Proverbs eleven eighteen says this: it says the wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. So Proverbs is saying if you if you earn money and wages deceptively or sinfully, it, the Proverbs is calling you wicked, and we see this throughout Proverbs. Earlier in chapter 11 here, it says a false, abomin- or a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Just a couple chapters later, Proverbs 13, 11, or wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. Or Proverbs 21, 6, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. So Proverbs here is is warning against those who are so obsessed with wealth and have such a love of money that they'll do anything, including disadvantaging others and cheating others to gain money. But if you do that, Proverbs calls you wicked, an abomination, and you'll come to poverty as your wealth dwindles and disappears like a vapor. And this can come in many ways, right? So there's some who who cheat on their taxes. Maybe they, they manipulate some numbers so that they get more money back from the government or they don't owe as much taxes to the government or Or there's those who maybe cheat employers by not working as hard as they should or not working as much as they they should. And I think that the work from home model since COVID has kind of created a unique temptation, right, in the lives of Christians because it's working from home and it's easy to get distracted by the things around you and do things that aren't what you're getting paid to do. And so you don't work as hard or work as much as you can. Or or those who take extended breaks in order to get more money than they deserve, I remember years ago when I was a teenager, I had a summer job, and uh, one of my friends worked with me. It's not Phil, so don't we won't have to call Phil out in this one. But it was one of my friends, and we would we would take extended breaks. He had a he had a handheld Yahtzee game, and so throughout the week, throughout the (laughs) Steph shakes her head. (laughs) So throughout the uh, workday, we take turns. We go into take extended breaks in the bathroom and see who can beat whose Yahtzee score and everything. So. Very sinful, very deceptive. Funny at the time. Now, I guess, 20, 30 years later, or whatever it is. But, but we, but it was we were earning money deceptively, and we were at the time. I didn't think about it that way. I was having fun. But the fact is, we were wrong. We were earning money sinfully and deceptively because we were, we should have been working and we weren't. Or those who maybe manipulate numbers on your time slips, so, so it looks like you came in earlier or you left earlier, so you're getting more money than you really deserve. And if you do that, the Bible calls you wicked. And an abomination to God. So I know Mike preached last week on how we're commanded to work hard as to the Lord and not be lazy and not to have such an unhealthy obsession with work that we work so much to the neglect of our friends and our family. So I'm not going to touch on that. If you want to hear that sermon, it was a great sermon last week on, on work. But here we're seeing that we're not to cheat or steal in order to gain money. Remember Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Hey man, I, I, you need any more singers up here? No, no, i am not i am good, I'm good. But he, the Bible describes him as a chief tax collector and, and rich. This was a man who made his riches by cheating others on their taxes, but then he meets Jesus, right? He meets Jesus and when he does, he says, Jesus, I'm gonna give away half of my possessions and I'm gonna give back four times what I cheated everyone else. And at this point in time, Jesus tells him, today salvation has come to this house. So the question is, did Zacchaeus earn his salvation by giving? No, we, we know he didn't earn his salvation by giving. giving. Giving of possessions and being generous to the poor is not a way we earn our salvation. That's solely based on the faith on Jesus' work at the cross, right? But I do believe the Bible clearly teaches that giving of resources and being generous to the poor is necessary evidence of salvation. So it's, it's not how we earn our salvation, but it is evidence that we are saved. James 2, 14 through 17 puts it this way. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So I think most of us would say that there's no way if someone came through our doors this morning and needed food that we would just say, oh, go in peace, be filled and, and warm, and not give them the needs that they that they, they needed, right? We, we wouldn't do it. That'd be ridiculous. But I do feel like by our often inaction towards the needs around us and around the world, that we are essentially saying the same thing. And honestly, this, this kind of, as I was preparing this, it made me think about, it was about a year and a half ago, we went to Ethiopia, and you hear, you hear all these facts of like 1.5 million orphans in Ethiopia, and you hear those numbers, and it's like, it doesn't really, it doesn't really click, right? But then when we were there, and we saw some of those 1.5 million orphans Walking on the streets and asking for just coins out of our pockets or scraps of food. or And we give them a banana and it just makes their entire day. And you see that and you realize, what am I doing with my resources? I mean, not that we can solve poverty by ourselves. Not that we can get every single orphan off the street. But there's organizations that are helping put a little dent in that that we can be giving to. Think of the, uh, in Nepal or Ethiopia. We're supporting these organizations that are helping alleviate poverty, helping alleviate this orphan crisis. And, and we often t- just keep our stuff and spend our stuff on our own pleasures without being free to give of our things. But the fact is, when Christ saves you, he changes your heart, he changes your life so that now you, number two, you give money generously. I get this from verse 24 and 20, through 26 here in Proverbs 11. So starting at verse 24. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. As I look at this passage, I realize I am so reluctant to give things away. I'm so reluctant to give these things that I treasure, that I that I love. I, I love to spend money on the latest technology, on the bigger TV or the better sound system or, or the nicer car, or nicer shoes or bigger houses. I have such an unhealthy obsession with the things of this world and I find myself getting joy in these things and it sickens me to think this is how I what am i doing spending all these resources hoarding all these things that god has entrusted to me that that's his anyways that he's just entrusting to me when i could be giving things away and storing up treasure in heaven and not here on earth but let me say the bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil right it's, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil stuff in in and of itself money in and of itself is not Bad, but loving and treasuring stuff so much that we get so much joy out of these things. Without having open hand to give away these things, if God were to call us to do so, that's what the Bible calls as evil. You see, I think one of the greatest deterrents I have in giving my money and my resources is this illusion that I've been sold that this world is my home. I think this world is my home because the way I live my life reflects the fact that I think this is my eternal resting place. But brothers and sisters, let me remind you, this is not our home. We are here for a vapor. We are here for an an instant. We are only strangers and aliens here who are only here for a short amount of time on our way to our eternal home. But that's not how I live my life at all. I spend my money and my resources to surround myself with so much stuff so I can feel more comfortable, so I can be more entertained, so I can be happier in this life. And when I live my life that way, which I often do, the Bible calls me a fool. In Luke, Jesus says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he goes on to tell a story, which you all know, right? He has this, this, this farmer who has this, his crops are producing bountifully. And he's like, what am I going to do with all my stuff now? And his idea is, well, let's tear down all my barns. We'll build bigger barns so I have more places to put all of my stuff. So he builds these barns, puts his stuff in there, and he says, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be married. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So I tell you today, on the authority of Scripture, if you're living this life trying to keep as much as you can for yourself. Try to earn as much as you can for yourself. Try to gain as much as you can for yourself. If you're living this life wanting a larger, larger house, more and more stuff, nicer and nicer stuff, better and better cars, in the short vapor of life, try to make it more comfortable. Instead of sharing the resources that God's entrusted to you, you are a fool. I am a fool. What are we doing we're here for a vapor, for an instant. Why are we storing up treasures here on earth that moth and rust are going to destroy, things that will not last, things you cannot take with you? As the saying goes, there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. What are we doing keeping all these treasures? We should be storing up treasures in heaven. Proverbs 14:21 says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 13, 14, 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. You see, Proverbs shows us that by giving of our resources to those who are in need, we honor God, we're happy, and we grow rich. Not necessarily in material wealth here on earth, even though it's certainly possible, but most definitely rich in heaven as we store up treasures there and not here. As Jim Elliott famously once said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, I guarantee on that day when we stand before our God, he's not gonna look at me and say, Brian, why did you give so much away? I gave you so much money and things. You could have just had the greatest, happiest, most comfortable life, but you gave things away. Why would, I gave you all this stuff. Why would you give it away? He's not gonna say that. At all. That's not his response. You see, I think one of the main reasons we don't give things away and we, we love money is this lack of contentment or this, this idea that we can get contentment in stuff or contentment in money or contentment in houses or our bank account. Things that were never meant to fulfill us. But again, the culture bombards us with these lies that we we'll buy into that we need the newest, the biggest, and the best all the time. So you get the latest iPhone, right? And, you know, oh, I got the na- latest iPhone. But then next year, they come out with a new iPhone that's got one more camera lens or whatever it might be. And then you need that one. And you're not happy because the next one comes out. And it's this constant cycle of always wanting more and more. It's kind of like being stranded in the ocean on a boat, right? You're stranded in the ocean. You're on a boat. And you're getting hot. And you're getting thirsty. And you look around you, and there's water everywhere. I'm thirsty, there's water, this is going to fulfill me, so you begin to drink the water. But that water is salt water, and and you don't realize that the more you drink, the thirstier you get, and eventually the thing that you thought was going to fulfill that need, the thing you thought was going to provide for what you needed, is the one thing that's going to kill you. That's love of money, that's love of possessions. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this. says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Benjamin Franklin has admitted that money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. The more a a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. Money and possessions and cars and houses and shoes and electronics never made a man happy. It just creates a vacuum that grows and grows and is never Filled. Having more and more will never provide contentment. It will only fuel discontentment because money and possessions were never meant to bring us contentment and fulfillment. Only God is where we find true fulfillment and true contentment. Luke 12, 32 through 33 puts it this way. It says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. says, I have learned in whatever circum or whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Or Hebrews 13:5 through six says, keep your love free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Did you catch that? The writer of Hebrews says you could be content with what you have because you have God and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Paul says in Philippians that he can be content because we have Christ and he strengthens us. And in Luke, if we have God and he promises us the kingdom, what more do we need? What more do we Want and if we do, we not trust him to provide for our needs if we d- obey his command to be generous to the needy. John Wesley, back in the 1700s, talks about an event that occurred while he was at Oxford that greatly impacted his views on giving. Evidently, after Uh, purchasing some pictures for his room, he noticed one cold winter day that one of the chambermaids had nothing to shield her from the winter cold except a, a thin linen gown. And when he reached in his pocket to give her some money, he realized that he didn't have any. Immediately, the thought struck him that the Lord was not pleased with the way he spent his money, and he asked himself, Will thy master say, Well done, good and faithful steward? Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money which might have screened this poor creature from the cold. O justice, O mercy, are not these pitchers the blood of this poor maid? So from that day on, in 1731, John Wesley determined to maintain his standard of living at the same level and give away everything else. So at the time, with earnings about 30 pounds and living expenses at 28, he gave away 2 pounds. A little later, his earnings increased to 60, so he gave away 32 increased 120, but he continued to live on 28 and gave away the other 92. Wesley became known for his saying, what should rise is not a Christian's standard of living, but a standard of giving. He continued his practice through the rest of his life. Even when his income, income reached 1,400 pounds, he still lived on 28 and gave the rest away. Wesley was afraid of laying up treasures on earth, so the money went out in charity as quickly as it came in. He reported he had never had more than 100 pounds at any one time. So put that in perspective. At one point in time, John Wesley was making over $160,000 a year, and he was living on $20,000 a year. That's crazy. That's radical, but that's biblical. So I think, what if I did that? What if I set a standard of living in which I was providing for my family and then gave away the rest? And as I began to make more, I gave more. And I kept my standard of living the same, but increased my standard of giving instead of the other way around. But I'm so often to think that the more money I make, that the necessitates a a better lifestyle, more things, bigger, bigger things. And I think even through the course of my life, I I think when me and Steph first got married, I, um, she had a job, I didn't, and, um. Was, we actually talked about this a couple of years ago, and and she realized she married a bum because she did. I was a bum at the time, so we had a one we had a one bedroom apartment. Then we got a two bedroom, and then a three bedroom. And as my business began to uh, do better, we we increased our standard of living over and over and over and over. And and, and now I think we we give more, but not to the stand, not to the uh, amount of increase we've we've had. I think our standard of living has drastically increased more than our standard of giving. Has increased, and it it, it sickens me to think that we have done this. Because there should be a joy. There is a joy in giving. The Bible tells us it's more joyful to give than it is to receive. So as we make more, we should give more. And we see this in action in the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, but specifically in Acts two forty-five. It says the people were selling their possessions, distributing the proceeds as any had need. Or Second Corinthians eight two. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Did you catch that? Severe test of affliction, extreme poverty, in their joy led to wealth of generosity. They were poor. They were extremely poor, but they were generous in giving and just excited to give. That's radical, countercultural, biblical view of giving wish that we would, we would live our lives like this. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait, so is Jesus telling us that we shouldn't seek treasure, we shouldn't seek happiness, we shouldn't seek joy? In? No, that's not at all what I'm saying. In fact, I think Christ says the exact opposite. Christ wants us to seek treasure. He wants us to seek happiness. But the only way to seek true treasure and true happiness is if we, number three, value money rightly. Let me share with you two quick stories from the Bible. One's a, one's a parable and one's a true story, but I think they, they really shed light on this truth. So the first one is out of Mark 10. It says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have done for my youth. And Jesus looked at him or looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions Or Matthew 13. So the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. So both these men are offered the same treasure, the same trade, right? Sell everything you have and then gain this other treasure, namely Christ. But they have very different responses. It says the rich young ruler goes away sad because he had many great possessions and he wasn't willing to sell them to gain the treasure found in Christ, but the other man with joy sells all he has to gain this treasure. So what's the difference? Why do these men have very different responses? They were offered the same exact trade. I think the key is the rich young ruler was under the false assumption that his possessions on earth were of more value than following Christ and gaining the treasure found in him. Whereas the man in the field knew that the treasure he found in Christ far outweighed anything this world could offer him. So enjoy. he sells everything to gain this treasure. You see, one valued money rightly, one did not, and it had eternal consequences. And I believe the same warning can be said to us. If we don't value money rightly, it will have eternal consequences. So my challenge to you is this. If God were to ask you this morning or this week or this month or this year to sell something that you consider valuable, something that you place value on. If he he were to call you to sell that so that you can give to a need that you are made aware of, would you do it? Would you enjoy do it? Or would you walk away sad because you don't want to give this thing up? And this is one of the parts where I was going to cut out of my sermon because the fact is, if God were to call me to downsize house, car, to sell things, it would be extremely tough for me to do so. And this is why I wanted to cut this out, because the fact is, it's very possible he'll call me to do so. Because I find myself not valuing money and possessions rightly, most of the time. But the thing is, there's countless needs around us. There's there's people in our church who are struggling that could use the resources that God's entrusted to us to help them. Or I think of uh, Nepal, where Barb and Steve have served the pastors and the children there who, who are faithfully spreading the gospel in a country where it's less than 2% Christians. And they have extreme poverty, and we can give to that need, as we have as a church, but we can give more to that need. Or I think of 30 Hearts in Ethiopia, where, where they have brought 30 orphans off of the streets and now have given them homes and, and family and clothing and house over their head. And most importantly, Christ. And they're going to be bringing more orphans off the street, and they could use the resources that God's entrusted to us to help them further that cause. So the question again, what if God were to call you to give something up so that you can give to one of those needs? Would you do it? I pray that we would not be like the young rich ruler and go away sad and say, I, I, no, God, that's, that's too costly. I can't give that up. I pray that we wouldn't do that. I pray we can't put our hope, we can't put our trust and our joy in the stuff that we have here on this earth. Look at verse 27 and 28 here in Proverbs 11. It says whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. You see, if you trust in riches, you will fall. We need to put the right value on money and possessions i pray that god would change our hearts to to see what the the little trinkets that we have here are in comparison to the, what he has to offer us proverbs eleven seven says when the wicked dies his hope will perish and the expectation of wealth perishes too proverbs 23 4 through 5 do not toil to acquire wealth be discerning enough to desist when your eyes light on it, it's gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. Proverbs 27:24. riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations? Or in Psalm 49, 16, and 17, do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies, and his splendor will not descend with him. See, money and possessions will leave you in life or it will leave you in death. There are no exceptions. Money and possessions do not last. Therefore, do not put trust in them, but trust in God who richly provides everything for us to enjoy. And not only that, the treasure we have in Christ that's found in Christ far outweighs anything this world has to offer us. Did you notice that almost all the passages we've looked at today about giving and sacrificing our possessions for others end with us gaining greater treasure, namely Christ and the treasure we are storing away in heaven. That's what Christ is trying to teach us. It's not that he doesn't want us to have treasure. He doesn't want us to be happy. No, he knows that our true happiness and our true treasure that lasts is when we give away what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose in heaven. See, Christ has our best interest at heart here. We need to realize this. It's what the the people that the writer of Hebrews was writing to said when they said they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property since they knew they had a better possession and abiding one. Or Moses, who considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. So the way we value money and possessions rightly is when we put it in its proper place compared to the reward we have waiting for us that's going to last billions and billions and billions of years, but it's so hard for us to see that, oh God, give us eyes to see what we have awaiting us as we store up treasures in heaven. But again, like I said at the beginning, we, we don't give out of guilt. We don't give out of this feeling of guilt, but we give out of grace, and second Corinthians 8 shows us. It says we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor. Of taking part in the relief of the saints. So again, severe test of affliction, extreme poverty leads to abundance of joy, wealth of generosity, and begging to give relief to these other saints. And why would they do this? What was their motivation? And Paul continues It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so you, by his poverty, might become rich. So Paul points to the Macedonians, and he shows us what their motiva- motivation for generosity was and what ours should be. He doesn't appeal to our emotions with sob stories and make us feel guilty. He doesn't order our, our wills with commands. What does he do? He shows us Jesus. Our Savior was rich with heaven, but he gave it up. He left his kingdom and his throne to become a servant for our sake. He came down into our poverty so we might become rich rich. In him forever. He lost so we could gain. He took our sin upon himself so we could be free from the guilt of sin. And because Christ humbled himself, or yeah, because he humbled himself, God has highly exalted him. Brothers and sisters, if there is an eternity ahead, and if our God is more satisfying than anything this world has to offer us, we really can't afford to be investing too much in this life because the return is too small and the return is too short-lived. Whether we should store our treasures in heaven and put as much time and energy and money and possessions and resources here into enjoying God now and then and helping others around us and around the world to do the same. So when we're tempted to keep and collect for our few decades here, we need to be reminded that we will enjoy for eternity the fruit of our Christ-exalting investments in people and relationships. We can't take our money and possessions with us, but we can take the lost souls that were saved because of the money and possessions and resources that we gave that reflected to the world Christ's supreme value. However, if we look like our life is devoted to getting more and maintaining more on this earth, we will look like the rest of the world and we will not make Christ look great. He would look like a religious side interest that may be, escape, or may be uh, useful in escaping hell in the end, but makes no difference in the way we live our lives and what we love here. A materialistic world or church cannot win a materialistic world to Christ. However, if we live like this world is not our home and this world's treasures have little value to us in comparison with Christ, this will bring glory to God. There's will point others to him because apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. the type of life that our brother Steve Semple lived. Steve went home to be with the Lord Monday. Barb and Steve could have enjoyed their retirement. They could have went on extravagant vacations. They could have spent their time on beaches across the world and spent their savings for their own comforts and their own pleasures, but they didn't. The world around them would have said they deserve that type of retirement. Look how hard they worked for decades. You deserve to relax and be happy the rest of your life, but they didn't. Instead, they spent their resources and their energy and their time into making Christ look great. They spent their money and their time traveling to a poverty-stricken nation in Nepal, They spent their resources and their time caring for pastors and children there in St. Paul because they refused to buy into the lie that this world tried to sell them, that this is their home and they should spend all their hard-earned money on themselves and their own comfort and their own pleasure. And because they did, because they refused to buy into the lie, likely hundreds or thousands of Nepalese are now followers of Christ And they're going to join around that throne of God that Steve is worshiping around this morning. And they're going to be there with him. They're going to be with Steve. Yeah. They're going to be there with Steve, who is now enjoying the treasures that he stored up in heaven because he refused to store up treasures here on earth. So brothers and sisters, let us live our lives like Steve and Barb. Let's live our lives and let eternity. Let us be so heavenly-minded that we are extremely earthly good. Let us repent of any hint of love of money and love of possessions and greed and a heart that's so wrapped up in the things that this world is offering us. So we earn money honestly, we give money generously. We value money rightly, knowing we have eternal weight of glory waiting for us. So we live for eternity, not the 70 or 80 years that we have here on this earth. And in the process, we bring glory to God because we show a watching world that he, not stuff, not the trinkets that this world tries to offer us as treasure. He alone is our all satisfying treasure. So church, let us live our lives like Steve did. Steve did. Let us follow his example, and we let us spend our resources to reflect the reality that he alone is worth it. And in doing so, let's make Christ look great by the way we spend our resources. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray. First, no, first, first God, I want to thank you I want to thank you for the example of Steve and Barb, Lord. I want to thank you for the example that they've been to me, Lord, and just just seeing how they just love you and everything they did and do for your glory and the fact that they refused to lay up treasures here on earth, Lord, because they were looking for the reward, that they, the reward that Steve is enjoying right now. God, we thank you for their example, Lord. I pray that we would follow in that example, Lord. Lord, I pray that you just change our hearts, God. Oh, God, I need my heart to be changed. Mm-hmm. I need you to change my heart to reflect you and your care for the poor and care for those around me that have needs, Lord. I pray that you just tear away this grip that stuff has on me, that money it has on me, possession it has on me, Lord. Just Lord, I pray that I would live my life, I pray that we all would live our life. Where we spend our stuff, show that you alone are worthy, of all our praise, and all our, everything, everything we have, Lord, is, we should be willing to just sacrifice for you, God, and so Lord, change our heart, change our heart, convict me, move in all of us, God. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. <laughs>